Revelation chapter 19. Here at the end of this chapter, we have a supper. And it's called there in verse 17. Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. It's a supper provided by God. And it's a supper for fowls. For all the birds that fly in the midst of the heavens. And the feast is mankind. It's armies. Verse 18. Kings and the flesh of captains. The flesh of mighty men. The flesh of their horses and of them that sit on them. All the armies that have been formed against God. The armies of the nations that are anti-God. But not just armies, but all men. Because it says there at the end, on the flesh of all, both free and bond, both small and great. And all have been slain with the sword of the divine warrior. Verse 21, the ram that were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth. And all the fowls were filled with their flesh. So, so great is the confidence that the birds are going to have a feast. Before the destruction takes place, all the fowls of heaven are called together. And then the destruction takes place. And at the end we read, all the fowls eat the flesh and were filled. So it's a terrible, terrible supper. And that's the conclusion of the long conflict of the war against God. That's how it ends. This is not the only supper in the chapter, however. This word supper occurs twice within it. And it's the only place in the book of the Revelation where the word occurs. It is also used to describe another supper that we read of in verse 9. Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. So this is another supper. There are two suppers in this book. Two very different suppers. Here at the end of the book, at the end of the world, and I want to speak about both of them Tonight, to endeavour to see what God is saying by means of these visions, the last two suppers. Now, the world is going to end in eating, according to this vision, eating with the Lord, or being eaten with Satan, and consumed with the beast. The persecuting power of Satan and with the false prophet, the deceiving power of Satan. Because Satan has two great powers. We're talking about his powers through men, the power of persecuting Christians and the power of deceiving the nations. And at the end, this great deceptive organization is going to be destroyed and the beast and the false prophet taken and cast into the Gehenna 
So this is how it all ends. The redeemed eating in the kingdom and the wicked consumed by the kingdom. That's what we have here. So I'm going to speak about these two feasts. But before I do so, I want to bring you back to the start. Back to the start of the Bible. Back to Genesis. Back to the Garden of Eden. Back to before the fall. Where it all started. Where it all commenced. This opposition to God. We want to go back to Genesis chapter 2. And you remember whenever God made man. God provided his man with good fur. And you read about that in verse 9 of Genesis chapter 2. Out of the ground. Made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So here's pleasant food. Good food. Pleasant to the sight. A provision in the garden in abundance. Trees all over the place. No scarcity of fur. Pleasant to all the eyes of the new man. Sweet to the taste and the palate of the new man. All that he needed to be sustained through the new creation in his walk with God as he began to set up the kingdom of God on earth. As God's man on earth. And the Lord God commanded the man of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. There's food in abundance for you. But there is one food you cannot eat. Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. But in the day where thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So there was something not to eat. And there was supper in abundance to eat. And what did mankind do? What befell the human race? Well, we know the story. The serpent came into the garden and began to deal with Eve about food, about eating, and began to lay before her the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That which God had forbidden. The forbidden food. The serpent said unto her, You'll not surely die if you eat it. But God knows that in the day you eat thereof, you'll have your eyes opened, you'll be as gods, you'll know good and evil. And what happened? She listened to the devil. And she looked at the food. And she saw it was pleasant to the eyes. And she saw it was desirable to the taste, desirable to the palate, desirable to her lusts, to make her wise as a god. And it says that she took her off and did eat. And gave on to her husband also. And they did eat. And all mankind feasted. 
in his supper with Satan. In his supper against God. They partook of the food of the devil. They chose to eat with the devil. They chose to turn their back on all the good fur that God had provided for them. And they chose instead to partake of that which God had forbidden them. And they chose Satan over God. And the human race was plunged into a place of bondage with Satan, feasting with the devil, eating all that he provides, poison, all the fur that will destroy their souls, eating with the wicked one, fellowshipping with the devil and with demons, and turning their back to God. All mankind would thus have remained in a place where they would have lived with Satan and supped with Satan and partook at the table of devils. All of humanity would have done that. And all of humanity would have been consumed in the just judgment of God and devoured in his judgment. Consumed along with Satan. And all it would be would be this supper, this last supper. Of all the wicked and ungodly. Consumed by the fowls of heaven. Reaping what they sow. Themselves being consumed. For consuming sin and feasting with Satan. Consumed like him. But that's not the story. Grace intervened. Grace came. And God sent the Saviour. All mankind lost by the fall. Communion with God. They're under his wrath. They're under his curse. They're made liable to all the miseries in this life. All these plagues. All these trumpets. All these judgments. And to death itself that we read so often in this book. And then at the end, the pains of hell forever. All mankind were doomed to that. But God did not leave all mankind to perish in that estate. He, out of his mere good pleasure, from all eternity, elected some to eternal life and did enter into a covenant of grace To deliver them out of that state. Out of that state of sin and misery. Out of that state whereby they're under all the plagues. And under all these vials of wrath. And under all these chastisements and miseries of the curse. Whereby they're delivered from all of that. And from the terrible end. That consuming supper at the end. Whereby they're all consumed and cast into the Gehenna. Some are redeemed out of that. And brought into an estate of salvation by a Redeemer. And the only Redeemer of God's elect is Jesus Christ. There is not one supper where all are consumed. There are two suppers. 
and one is a supper of grace. A supper of salvation through our Redeemer. The Lamb. The Lamb of God's provision. And those who sit with him and who sup with him at the table and who eat of the gospel fur participate in the end at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And those who don't, those who still go on feasting and fellowshipping with Satan in the kingdom of darkness and who reject the gospel fur, they are consumed. And they reap what they sow. And they are destroyed for their wickedness and for their rebellion against God and for their rejection of grace. That is pictured in that man who wears the garments that have been dipped in his own blood. So these two suppers picture on the one hand those who have been redeemed out of lost humanity. And the consuming supper picture those who are consumed in their wickedness and in their depravity. Without a saviour. That's what we have here. Men through grace have been brought back to feast with God. To partake of God's fur again through grace. And there are many who reject that. And they are consumed. They wouldn't eat the flesh and the blood of him who died for them. This is my body which is broken for you. This is my blood which is shed for you. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath everlasting life. They wouldn't eat of the Lord Jesus by faith. They wouldn't partake of the Lamb of God slain for them by faith. They wouldn't sit down at the Lord's table and eat his body and drink his blood. They wouldn't have fellowship with that crucified redeemer and their flesh is to be consumed and their blood is to be drunk by the fowls of heaven so we have retribution here in the form of a vision they're visions that are setting forth the truths of holy scripture so let's think then just why we have time about some points about these suppers the first is that they are symbolic The visions are not videos of literal future history. The first is not literally a marriage feast such as was celebrated amongst the Hebrews in Israel. It's actually far better than that. Far more glorious than that than any Hebrew marriage feast. Far more wonderful than that. It's just a good symbol. A marriage feast and the happy time and the joyful time And the new life that's to go on ahead of the married couple into the decades ahead. It's being pictured, something that's being pictured in the marriage supper of the Lamb. As the bride and the Lamb come together, beginning something that goes on into the the joy of everlasting love into eternity. So the marriage feast is a picture in something great. It's symbolic. Symbolic of something Wonderful. And then on the other hand, this supper of uh, the human flesh of all men being consumed is a, a vision of something terrible, of an awful judgment of God, 
where men are destroyed and consumed beyond remedy. And they're going out into something that is eternally horrible. And so that's pictured by the birds devouring their bodies. But again, that horrific supper is just a vision of something that is even more horrible, even more horrific. Remember, these are just visions, and they are symbolic of great truths of God's word. So don't be expecting to see something literal here at a future age. This is setting forth the end by graphic symbols, an end that is complete and from which there is no return. So we have things that are symbolic here. And then the next thing about these suppers is that they're great suppers. Their magnitude is great. It's the supper of the great God, and it's the marriage supper of the Lamb. So whenever we use the word supper here, we are not talking about a light meal before you go to bed. We have our supper before we go to bed. It's nothing like that. This, this is a word that tells us of a great banqueting feast. It's a special supper, a special feast. It's a kind of feast you don't have every day. You know, you have breakfast, you have dinner, you have tea, and you might have supper at night. But it's like none of those. This is a special festival, special banquet. A great time is taking place. And so the guests are more than just the family. I mean, at breakfast, dinner, tea, whatever you have the family, maybe not a visitor or two, but when you have a great banquet, multitudes come. Well, there never was a banquet like these two banquets. The word is used of Herod's birthday feast. Herod on his birthday made a supper to his lords, his high captains and chief estates of Galilee. So they're coming from all over, all of, all of his political men, all his henchmen from all about the country. They're coming together on his birthday for a great banquet. That's the word that's used. This is a great feast, these two suppers. A good Old Testament illustration of a great supper is found in Daniel. Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drunk wine before the thousand. It's like that, a great supper. And you know that the gospel is pictured as a great feast. The time that we're in now, you see, this is, what, this is what's deciding all of this. There's a great supper now. Who, who's going to come back and sup with the Lord? Who's going to leave their sin and repent and take of the gospel provision because God has made a provision of grace that will culminate in the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so in the, on the route to the marriage supper of the Lamb, people have to come to the gospel feast that God has provided now. And that's what's happening now in this age. The Lord, the certain man, as the parable says, made a great supper and bid many. And he sent his servant at supper time to Say to them that were bidden, come, for all things are now ready. And they went out, and they began to make excuse. You know the parable. I've done this, I've done that, I've bought ground. You know, have me be excused. They come up with excuses. And then the servant was sent out into the highways and byways and the lanes and to compel the halt and the lame and the, the weak and the wounded to come, to come into the supper. That my house may be filled. 
Remember we've been talking about God's house. God's house is the gospel house. The feasting house. And the, the fur within it is the gospel supper. It's Christ. Christ crucified for us. And men are invited to come and partake. And to sit at the Lord's table. And to leave the table of devils. This is what it's all about. God is calling men away from the table of devils. To come to the table of the Lord. To come into his banqueting house in the gospel. And to make ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed are they that are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And all who have come to Christ are in the gospel house. Participating by faith in Christ. They are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And they are blessed. They are blessed. But those who won't come. Those who remain to sup with wickedness. And to feed on wickedness. And to fellowship with darkness. They're going to be sucked upon. In the judgment of God. So these are great feasts. Mighty. And another thing about them is. They're of God's doing. It's the marriage supper of the Lamb. The Lamb's involved in it. And the Father has prepared the feast. For the bride and the Son. It's of God. And then this feast at the end, what's it called? It's called the Supper of the Great God. It's the Great God who has provided this food for the birds. It's the Lord that has done it. Indeed, that's the reason why these suppers are so great. Because it's not an ordinary man who makes these suppers. It's God. So the numbers are great at both suppers. At one supper all the saved and the redeemed and at the other supper all the enemies of God and of his Christ. Only God can give glory to Christ's bride the way that he can and does. And only God can deal with all the wicked so that all the birds of the earth consume them. Only God can make a supper like this. And the reason why these suppers are provided What does it say about the God in this chapter? The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. He reigneth. And this is the proof that he reigneth. He makes this great supper for the Lamb. And his bride. And he makes this great supper of sinners for the judgment. Another thing about these suppers. Is that they are introduced by something great. There's something before these suppers that is great, that that shows their greatness. They have a lot of fanfare, a lot of pomp before them, a lot of display. I've said in the past that chapter 19 is divided into four parts. There is worship, there's a wedding, there's a warrior king, and there's a war. Four parts. And in the second part, the wedding... And in the war, there are two great suppers. Before you have the wedding supper, you have the worship of heaven like you've never seen it before. All these hallelujahs that are multiplying in those first five or six verses. That great worship scene. That precedes the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's something great before it. It's introduced with all the fanfare of heaven's worship. 
Oh, hallelujah. The Lord God omnipotent reigns. Babylon's falls. The marriage supper of the Lamb has come now. Worship him. Worship him all ye on earth, all ye creatures. The marriage supper's here. Blessed are they that are called. So there's a whole fanfare before the marriage supper. And then the supper of the flesh consumed. There's a warrior king coming. One of the greatest visions of the warrior king that you'll find in the Bible. That we spent a number of weeks looking at. The one with these names. The one with all this glory. The one whose very garments are dipped in his own blood. He's coming. He's coming. And there is the supper that follows that. So you see there's, there's great things before these suppers. Showing that there, there's nothing like it has ever occurred before. These are unusual. These are massive. These have a magnitude that is beyond anything that's ever been seen on the earth before or in heaven. So they're introduced by things that are very great. Very great. Preceded by glorious visions. So they have great forerunners. And then another thing about these suppers is that they are end time suppers. That's the end. This is it. This is it. After this, it's into eternity. They're end time feasts. We have two suppers here being made at the end of this world. Because this is what this world is heading to. To these two great feasts. To the consummation of God's kingdom in the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the final end of Satan's kingdom in the destruction of all flesh. They're end time suppers. That picture. The end. The end. The world is heading to this. These visions are picturing the final result of God the King breaking in on our world. The end. In the glories of the redeemed. In heaven. With the lamb. The bride. And the lamb. Going on into eternity. And the judgment of the wicked. And all that deception. And all that persecution. And all that opposition to the light of the gospel and to God. Being consumed and destroyed. And going into eternity. Into the blackness of darkness. This is the end. And also, I think it's true to say that being the end time, the vision sets forth the destiny of all men. The destiny of all men is pictured here. This is a supper that shows the destiny of all mankind. To one or the other. To the marriage supper of the Lamb or to be consumed with the devil's deception. The suppers bear relation to all mankind. Every man is at one or the other. The whole human race is heading to this end, one or the other. There's no third group. There's no in-between group. There's no purgatory supper. There's nothing like that. 
the glories of the redeemed on one hand and the miseries of the damned on the other hand. Well, that's all there is. The suppers picture the final estate as they go on into eternity in that condition. And so the marriage supper speaks of the eternal bliss. Blessed are they that are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb, it says. They're blessed. Forever blessed. Eternally blessed. Blessed through the ages of ages, world without end. But those who are not called to the marriage supper of the Lamb are devoured by the fowls of heaven. And they picture the eternal cursing, the eternal misery. This imagery is drawn from the Old Testament. Sometimes whenever God was speaking to the nations and he was going to judge them, sometimes he would use them in picturesque terms of, you know, slaying their, their people so that the, the fowls of the air and the beasts of the field came and devoured them all up and consumed them. It's usually Old Testament imagery. But it's imagery of what it is to be cursed. Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. It's not that the Lord delights in this. This is a strange work. But men have chosen this way. Men have chosen wickedness. Men have chosen Satan. Men have chosen sin. Men have chosen darkness. Men have chosen not to face with God. Men have chosen to reject the gospel feast. They have brought it on themselves, this destruction. We've read this whole book. How that the church is persecuted by this world. And time and time again they're offered the grace of the gospel. But they persecute the church. And they believe the lies of Satan. And so the end of all men is pictured in one or other of these suppers. And we who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are so blessed. To be able to sit down with the redeemed in glory. At the marriage supper of the blessed are they that are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The key link that makes a difference. Well, who's in between these two suppers? The marriage supper of the Lamb is behind his back. As he comes with his blood dyed garments to the earth for this other supper. As he leaves one supper behind him to go to the other supper that is before him. Who's the one in between the two suppers? It's this warrior king. Who did not overcome the world by cruelty and malice and treating the wicked the way the wicked treats the church. How did he overcome all this wickedness? How did he destroy the devil? How does he destroy the armies of the wicked world? He destroyed them in his cross. He destroyed them by giving his back to the smiters. He destroyed them by letting their armies take him and crucify him and nail him to the tree. 
He destroyed them by his own blood. He destroyed them in the sacrifice of himself. He destroyed them in his humiliation and his condescension as the gentle saviour who died for us. That's how he destroyed them. And brothers and sisters, that's the only way we can overcome the world. It's not by taking up the sword. It's by turning our other cheek. It's by giving our back to the smiters as well. It's by praying for our enemies. It's by loving our enemies. It's by letting them slay us and slaughter us and go as sheep to the slaughter. That's how we overcome. That's how the church conquers. Not by violence, but by following the lowly Jesus. Whose great badge is this? That his garments are first steeped in his own blood. Before he gives the blood of sinners to the fowls of the air. And that's how they're destroyed. In the cross. That's how the devil was destroyed. In the cross. In the cross. Not in the resurrection. The resurrection is only the proof that Christ destroyed him in his death. It's the death of Christ that does it. They overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. Not by politics. Not by violence. Not by harmful, hurtful resistance. But by the blood of the Lamb. And by following in the humble footsteps of Jesus Christ. That's how. So, brethren and sisters, that let us be soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we must war as he warred. Not with the carnal weapons of this world, but with the sword of the word of God, with the word of his mouth. The sword that came out of his mouth, that's his most devastating weapon of all. The sword of his word. And by that, he either saves sinners or slays them. Let us leave it there then for tonight.